Well, 22 and a half years ago, I went to Bulgaria for the first time, and uh, while I was there conducting a pastor's conference, I met a 16-year-old boy, and God just kind of welded our hearts together. It was just amazing the, uh, uh, the way God just brought us together, and uh, uh, we had opportunity then to go and visit in his home and in his church there in Yambol, uh, Bulgaria. And then when I got back here to America, we began to correspond with one another by letters. That was before emails and things like that. Had to actually do it the old-fashioned way, put a stamp on it and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but after two or three years, we uh, arranged for him to come here to America. And he came, and, and he's been like a son to me and my wife, literally. Uh, in fact, my grandchildren... Uh, think of him as part of the family, and some of them don't even remember a time before Mike Angeloff, and uh, they, he's just become a part of our family. And uh, we've been able to continue ministry there in Bulgaria, and uh, he has gone back to Bulgaria and has begun a ministry there. So Mike, come up here just a minute, and uh, won't you tell everybody a little bit about what's going on there in the uh, he works with uh, the gypsy population in Bulgaria, which is the poorest, the absolute poorest of all of Bulgaria. So take just a minute, kind of tell us what's going on, and then I'll ask you a couple of questions. All right. Wonderful to be with you guys here today just for a couple of weeks, but hopefully later on we'll have more time next year. So, uh, you know, you probably have seen some pictures and heard some things from Brother Nick, who was recently in Bulgaria. But uh, just uh, to broaden your perspective, to give you the bigger picture, um, I started uh, working more seriously uh, with the Gypsy Church this last January. And so uh, gypsies are a big part of uh, Bulgaria, if you uh, imagine Bulgaria being the size of Tennessee, kind of, um, you have nowadays the gypsy population is probably one-fourth of uh, the entire population. It's, and it's rapidly growing because gypsies have a lot of children. Bulgarian people do not have but one or two children. And so um, um, just I, I believe by the, the, the year 2030, uh, gypsies and Turkish people will be more than Bulgarian people. And so I believe it's not by chance that the Lord put me to work with gypsy people. Um, usually, Bulgarian people do not want to do and deal with gypsies because they are uh, different. They have a completely different mentality. They are not very hygienic. They are mischievous. They're bad. So in general... So you don't see Bulgarian people mingling much with gypsies. In fact, the gypsies do not want to intermarry with Bulgarians. And they have their own culture, their own traditions. Um, they're very much, they're close to Indian culture, in fact. And in their ways, very primitive. But um, the Lord arranged it. I have a friend who is a pastor of a gypsy church and just right close to Yambul, to our town. And we've been friends ever since, uh, well, 1996, uh, 97, somewhere there. 
and uh, and he has a different heart. He's not your regular gypsy person. He's a true man of God, a wonderful family of six daughters and a son, and so uh, very very good. Uh, but you know, I knew his son when he was ten years old, and I go back now. His son is twenty six, and uh, he's in the ministry with his dad, and the Lord. Uh, points me in that direction to minister with those people and they have an open heart so I see that God always works on both sides if he wants to do something yeah and so he put a desire in me for for them he put a desire in their heart for me and I started working with them and they received me well in fact um, because they trust him he has a big family in that Town. In fact, half of the town is his family, relatives, and as you can imagine, with that many daughters, and he has brothers, and uh, and so uh, because he trusts me, they started trusting me too, and they took me in, uh, and they would listen to to my you know words, and uh, and they loved me, and I loved them, and I would go to their house and sit at their table, and I, I would be part of them. And when the gypsy people in the community saw that, they got excited. They said, we've never seen a Bulgarian person come to us and embrace us and sit and have dinner with us and come to our church and enjoy our music and just be part of us. And so uh, that was uh, how things started. And um, ever since January, I've been there uh, going to the church, and the church itself several years ago was split uh, by a bad person who pretends to be a Christian. And so I went to this mother gypsy church, uh, which at the time was speaking 12, 13 years ago, was about 120 people. It's a big church. But now it's left to about 20 people. And so I go there, and the Lord puts a desire in my heart to work towards unity, towards growth, and and to lead them with purpose. Because they were purposeless, they were scattered, uh, Kircher, the pastor there, his son Nasco, both of them discouraged as I went, and they, you know, the, the, their building is falling apart, the church is falling apart through the years, and they so, so they were discouraged, just maintaining a little flame, and so I go and we start working together, and I don't see much happening from January till September, and then, but I'm consistent in showing love, going, just ministering, and then I get discouraged. Brother Nick encourages me from over here. He says, just keep, keep working at it. And uh, finally, in September, some other people showed up. I, I didn't know who they were. And uh, then the guys, you know, Kircho and his son, they said, do you know who these are? I said, no. I said, some of those are newcomers, and some of those other ones are from the other churches that split. And... Uh, and they said that they really enjoyed it. And this, these guys started coming week after week. And we, yeah, and we started some, some, seeing some unity. We started seeing people who started coming back, which is unheard of in Bulgaria, especially churches that have split and did not want to see each other, did not want to call this guy a brother or sister, believing the same things, but just following a different leader. And uh, they started coming back, and they said, we, we want to be here. And uh, by the time Brother Nick comes in October, uh, people people were already, you know, having this 
attitude. And, and so he comes, and we have the ordination of Nasco, Kircher's son, to be a minister as well. And uh, then the church gets filled up, and all those pastors with their congregations come to the church, and they're loving it. And they said, we have never seen, we've never heard first a message like this, and we've never seen uh, an ordination like that ceremony. And so it's a miracle, you know. I, I'm so excited because God is doing some wonderful things, and, uh, and you're a big part of it. They are praying for you. The church is praying for you. And uh, what God is doing, I'm so, so very grateful. Yeah. All right. And one of the great needs over there is for the, an, a building because, as Mike said, their building is just really collapsing. It, it's falling in. In fact, it's a little bit scary to even go in there and preach and, yeah. because uh, the ceiling is falling down, the walls are leaning to the side and everything like that. Yeah. But uh, we tried to raise money before I went to build a, a new building. We weren't able to get enough. It takes about $15,000. It's amazing Which is to think they can build a, amazing, a yeah. building for $15,000. But, uh, but I did take about uh, $5,000, and, uh, and they built a, a toilet. Put uh, a fence on the with property? A, they fenced the property, yeah. and uh, they built a, uh, an outdoor toilet, which is the nicest toilet in uh, Savoy. Just, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and you would not believe how thrilled they are about this about this toilet, and yeah. uh, it, it just it's and a, it's uh, big uh, for them. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, getting started on it. They dug that thing down about what eight? Well, two and a half meters two down. Two and a half meters down, eight mm -hmm. feet, and, and gradually it's three by three meters wide. It's a it's it's nice and uh, yeah. They're working on it right there, putting the foundation. <laughs> they were so excited. Everybody came to, to help there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, things that seemed to us like uh, pretty common mm. over there, they're just absolutely blown away. And uh, we, yeah. they actually have finished. They the, have finished, the they the finished toilets, in just a week uh, or two. And uh, actually has uh, commodes in it, running water yeah. and everything, even though it's an outdoor toilet. Yeah. Uh, most of the outdoor toilets in Bulgaria, <coughs> you really have to get you a good breath before you go in. Yeah. Brother and Nick got you, to experience that. <laughs> you have to hold your breath while you're in there. And then, so you take care of business well, real fast. Well, there's also a hole in the ground. Hole, yeah, hole it's just there. a little hole in the ground. Yeah. So this is really, really nice. Yeah. And uh, uh, they're very excited about it. And so, uh, Lord willing, we're going to continue till we raise enough money to uh, right. to build a building. We need another, what, 10 or Ten or eleven thousand dollars, yeah. and uh, so just be praying about that. Pray that God's going to provide, and by the time, hopefully, Mike and his new bride are going to be able to come back here in uh, uh, February or March, and maybe stay for several months, and uh, so we'll get to see a lot more of him. And so, thank you, Mike. Thank you too. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> All right. And by the way, next Sunday evening, next Sunday night, uh, uh, Mike is going back on the 5th of December, which is just uh, about nine days from now. But he'll be here next Sunday evening. If you want to come and ask some questions, that'd be great. Uh, he'd love to answer questions about what's going on in Bulgaria, what's going on in his own life. And uh, uh, he's very excited to be married. He has a wonderful, wonderful Christian wife. 
and uh, I'm eager for you to meet her. I'm so sorry that it didn't work out for her to come this time because we were going to just surprise everybody, and then Mr. and Mrs. Mike Angeloff were going to come in, but we just got half of it. Uh, so so the, the better half will be here later, okay? All right, all right. Well, I want you to open your Bibles just briefly today to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, continuing our study in Mark. This is a very, very popular story. It's a story that, uh, that uh, everybody has heard. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke gives us a little bit fuller detail of it. We'll just read this summary of it here in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And remember, in the past, we've said Jesus has made it clear to his disciples that he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he says, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be uh, arrested, I'm going to be... Uh, uh, I'm going to be killed. and But he said, but on the third day I'll rise again. His disciples are just amazed. They can't believe it. They're just uh, stunned and stymied by such So he's on his way to Jerusalem, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life now it's interesting we're told in another place that this man was young we're told that he was a ruler we call him the rich young ruler he was a man of means he was a man of influence a man of power and authority and uh and and he uh he comes running to jesus so that you right away you think man this looks like a good start and uh uh, he comes running to Jesus, and he falls down and kneels down before Jesus, and he asks a good question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So if you were going to say uh, the positive things about this man, uh, what would you say? What are a couple of positive things you'd say about this man who comes to Jesus? He is what? Rich, all right. Well, that's a, that's a, a good thing, you know. Uh, folks come uh, come to join churches today, and then we find out they're rich. Everybody gets a little excited, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, we've got a rich man coming in here. Uh, what else about him? He what? All right. He believed that there was a way to have eternal life. He didn't know how, but he believed there was eternal life. What did you say, Tanny? Okay, he was respectful. Somebody said something over here. He what? All right, he came to the right person. Yeah, he didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to a, to a rabbi. He, he comes running to Jesus. So he came to the right person. And uh, anything else? He's enthusiastic. He comes running. Uh, he doesn't just stroll up there. He comes running to Jesus falls down on his knees, you think, man, this is going to be a great story. It's going to be a, 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 I mean, if somebody comes running to church and they fall down their knees and they say, I want eternal life. You know, most people would have said, well, just pray this prayer, <laughs> you know, or, or sign on the dotted line or something and, uh, and, 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 We'll be glad to have you on in our church. But Jesus, very discerning. 
Jesus looks at the young man. By, by the way, the Bible says Jesus loved this man. Jesus looked at him with a heart full of compassion, a heart full of love. And then Jesus asked this question. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, some people say, well, uh, so I guess Jesus is saying here he's not God. No, no, he's, he's basically saying, are you calling me good because you recognize that I am God are you calling me good because you think maybe I can help you? And, uh, uh, you know, Jesus actually does something here that I need to hear as a preacher, that evangelists need to hear, that when somebody comes to me and says, can you help me? I recognize you're a good man. Can you help me? I also want to be able to say to them, hey, look, my purpose is to point you to God. And the Bible says Jesus came to bring us to God, to God the Father. And so Jesus is not denying his deity here, but he's trying to, trying to discern the purpose and the heart and the intentions of this eager, respectful, wealthy, powerful, young man. And so Jesus said, uh, why, why are you calling me good? Uh, do you recognize who I am? Do you believe I'm God? Or do you think I can just help you? And then he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. Now, all of these commandments come out of the, the last half of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't even mention the first four. He doesn't mention the, no other gods before me and, and don't take the Lord's name in vain uh, and, and things like that and make no graven images and uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it. He just starts with, uh, with the, the, the commandments that have to do with relating to people. And with the exception of honor your father and mother, all of them are the negative commandments. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. It's almost like this young man has lived his whole life with the idea of trying to avoid the wrong things, to not do the wrong things. Now, that's good, isn't it? We teach our children, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. But... You know, you cannot do a lot of wrong things and still not have a right heart. Does that make sense? You know, there, there are a lot of people think, well, if I just don't do this and don't do this and don't do this, then maybe God will accept me. No, God does not accept us because of our morality, but he accepts us because of his perfect righteousness. All right, so Jesus said, you, you know the, all those things. And then listen to this. And he said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've, I've lived according to the commandments all my life. Ever since I was a young person, I, I, I've honored my parents I have not lied. 
I don't know, that might have been a lie. But uh, he says, you know, that's, that's been my goal, that's been my purpose, to live by these negative commandments, to not do these wrong things. And, uh, and Jesus didn't question him on it. It's almost as if Jesus said, yeah, I, I know you, you've lived a good, clean life. And that's what most people believe will get them into heaven, isn't it? Most people believe that if I just live a good, clean life, if I do the do's and don't the don'ts, then God will accept me. But this man had a deeper problem. He had a deeper problem. He did not genuinely love God. He loved God. The law. He loved obedience. But he also loved the blessings of the Lord in the way of material blessings. In fact, the Bible says he was very rich. He was very wealthy. And so Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, some people have read this, and they've said, well, is that what Jesus commands from all of us? That we go and sell everything we have, and give it to the poor? I don't think that's the point here. I think he's saying to this man, there is one thing standing in your way. You do not have enough compassion for poor people, and you have too much love for yourself and the things you own. And he said, go, and if you want eternal life, go and sell what you have, and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then the verse says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This amazing. Here's a young man. He comes within just he comes to the door of eternal life. In fact, Jesus is the door, isn't he? He comes right to the doorway of eternal life. He comes with eagerness. He comes with respect. He comes uh, with sincerity. He comes with a, a kind of righteousness, law righteousness. And he says, You want me to give up my possessions? Well, well, I can't do that. I, I love the things I have. And Jesus said, well, if you, if you want eternal life, then the one thing that's missing is that you need to love me and others more than you love your possessions. 
And I often wonder what, what Jesus might have said next if the man said, okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go and sell everything I have and give it to the poor. I don't know. Maybe Jesus would have said, well, you don't have to do that. You just have to be willing to do that. I read a story many years ago about a, uh, back in the, the southern states when slavery was still in uh, uh, operation in the south, there was a, a, a slave, a black slave, who uh, worked for a pretty cruel master who was a slave of a cruel master. But this master would see this slave singing and rejoicing and having such peace with God. The slave was a, a Christian. And the master wasn't. And the slave would, would pray for his master to be saved. And the master would even hear him praying for him to be saved. And the master came to the slave one day and said, uh, I want to know how is it that you have such joy? You have such peace. You even seem to love me. And I've been mean to you. And, and I'm the master. You're the slave. How is it that you can have such joy? And he said, oh, master, it's because I have Jesus in my heart. And he fills me with love and joy and peace. And the master said, well, what do I have to do? How can I have Jesus in my heart? And the slave thought for a moment. He said, well, master, you see that hog pen over there with that big mud hog wallowing pit? He said, oh, yes, I see it. He said, well, what you have to do, you need to climb over that fence, get over into that hog walla, it's called, and kneel down on your knees in that filthy mud and ask Jesus to save you, and he'll save you. And the master was indignant. He said, that's the most stupid thing I've heard in my life. He said, you think I'm going to climb over that fence and get down on my knees in that mud? That's ridiculous. And he went away, like this young man, went away sorrowful. Two mornings later, the slave had gone out to, to work and he saw his master climbing over the fence. And he had his white suit on. And he's getting over, beginning to walk over toward the hog wallow. And the slave ran to him and said, Oh, master, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting over into that mud and I'm going to get down on my knees. And I'm going to ask Jesus to save me. And the slave said, sir, you don't have to get on your knees in the mud. You just had to be willing to. You just had to let your pride go so that you were willing to. He said, you can ask Jesus to save you right here. And he will. And he did. And he did. And when I read that story, I thought of the rich young ruler. I thought maybe Jesus was saying to him, like that slave was saying to his master, here's what you have to do. Are you willing? Are you willing to let go of all those things that you've wrapped your heart around, all those things that have wrapped around your heart, all those things that you have loved for so long? Are you willing to say, 
eternal life is more important to me than all this other stuff. And it may be that if the man had said, yes, I'll go right now and sell it all, maybe Jesus would have said to him, like he did to Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and other rich people, he might have said, you just need to be willing to let it go. Or he might have said, go ahead and sell it all and give it to the poor. Now, here's the point to me. You know, this man had a problem with the idea of good. What is good? And he had read the law, and he thought, well, good is defined by law. And Jesus said, no, true good is defined by love. If you love me, if you really want eternal life, come follow me. Love me. Be a part of who I am. And in order to do that, there's something standing between you and that love. And it's not the law. You've tried to keep the law, but it's your possessions. Now, I don't know what it is for you or for me that might be more important to us than following Jesus. For some people, it could be sports. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor now out in Oregon, and uh, when he was in high school, man, he just worshipped sports. He would even tell you that. He would say, I just worshipped sports. Playing ball was, was what life was all about to me. And he said when he went to Falls Creek, a Baptist encampment up in Oklahoma, and Louis Giglio was preaching that time. And Louis Giglio said, if you love anything more than you love Jesus, you cannot follow Jesus. And that boy came to me that night, and he said, I'm giving up sports. I'm not going to play ball anymore. I said, David, you're, you're such a good ball player. He said, I know that's part of the problem. I'm good. And I know I'm good. But he said, I'd rather follow Jesus than to be a good ball player. And he got up and shared that testimony. And there were several people who said, well, are you saying that that we need to stop playing ball? He said, no, I'm not saying you need to do anything. I'm just saying that for me, I worshiped sports. And it was more important to me than Jesus was. And I'm laying it down. And he did. So it may be that there's something in your life. It might be fashion. It might be material things. It might be what else? What else could it be? What are some other things could be more important to us than Jesus? I, I really asked a question there. I was just wondering. Work, okay. Maybe our work, maybe our, our occupation, maybe our career, maybe our uh, climbing the ladder of position. What else? Okay, maybe some relationship. Maybe, boy, I've met lots of, lots of young people especially 
that actually walk away from Jesus in order to have a romantic relationship with somebody that's pulling them in the direction away from Jesus. Anyway, there's some of that. And it could be just friendships even. Can you think of one more thing? Can you think of Ben? All right, financial security. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe the idea that God is calling us to give, to be generous, and we think, well, I, I can't do that because I need to put as much as I can in an uh, IRA or something like that. Jesus says to this man, you want real treasure in heaven? Then you put your money in a place that will last forever. I think I've told you the story before about my friend Ron Young in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Ron was a wonderful, wonderful Christian businessman. My goodness, he was making money hand over fist. But he had a goal to use his income to the glory of God, to the blessing of others. He did not live in a great big mansion. He lived in a Pretty uh, nice house, but it was a modest house. And he said, I want to be able to give 90% of my money away and live on 10%. And, uh, and that's, that's what he did. And then in the 1980s, there was a major reversal finance, uh, business re- reversal in Memphis, and his company went out of business. He lost his business, lost everything that he had. And he was talking to a pastor friend of mine one day, and the pastor said, Ron, do you ever think about all that money you gave away, all that thousands, really maybe even a million dollars that you gave away to ministries, to missionaries? He said, yeah, I think about it a lot. He said, do you? Do you wish you'd have kept more of it? He said, oh, no. He said, what I wish is that I'd given more away. Because he said, everything that I kept, I lost. But he said, everything I gave away for kingdom work, I still have it. And I can never, never lose it. This young man, had he understood that principle, would have gained eternal life that day. Trusting in Jesus more than his money. And now, Jesus didn't actually preach the gospel to him because the gospel, actually Christ dying for sinners, is what this man needed to hear. Jesus gave him the law, and the man said, Oh, I'm okay. I've I've kept the law. He was so wrong. He was a sinner who needed salvation. But until we know we're a sinner who needs salvation, we're not ready for the gospel. And this man let his money stand in the way. And you say, well, man, if I was rich, I would serve God with my money. Really? I wonder. Here's the question. What are you, how are you using what you have today? To serve God.
And I'm not talking about giving it to the church. I mean, that's part of it. But I mean to, to give to people in need, to, uh, to give to missionary work, to, to give to the ministry to the gypsies, to give in any way. What are you doing with uh, $500 a month that you have now? You say, well, if I had $5,000, I'd know. You would probably do with $5,000 exactly what you're doing with $500. Because faithfulness is not measured by the amount that we have, but by our heart with what we, what we do have. The person that Jesus praised for their giving was a poor widow who came to the temple and brought, she had two, we might say had two pennies. She could have very easily given one of them and kept the other one for herself. But the Bible says that she gave all that she had. What a contrast between her and this rich young ruler. And again, I'm not even suggesting today that Jesus wants us to totally empty all of our accounts and sell everything we have and give it away. I don't think that's a requirement. For this man, it was, because that's what stood between him and God. Jesus says to us today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in him. But he does say, come, follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story of this uh, sad, rich, young ruler who went away sad. He went away disappointed. He came with such hope and such eagerness until it was pointed out to him that there were things that he loved too much and that the God that and there was a God that he loved too little and I pray that you'll help us today Lord examine our hearts help us see if there are things that we love too much and help us be willing to lay those aside and with delight and joy run to Jesus and say Lord you are life to me for me to live Christ. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us, and let us get to know you. Have a great week, and may the Lord richly bless you.